Good to see you guys this morning. Acts 16 is where we're going to get to, so why don't you open up to, uh, to that chapter in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the Gospels in the New Testament. Right after that is the book of Acts, so uh, get there, please. We will, we will be turning to that. So ghosting, this is a relatively new term. It's a thing, and uh, the activity itself is not new, but the term is relatively new. And the whole idea of acting like someone doesn't exist, right? And you think about it, the pain of ghosting that you inflict or being ghosted is proportional to the depth of relationship you have with someone. So Jonathan here uh, and I have a good relationship. We've been friends a long time. If he ghosted me, that would be different than a barista that I met this morning at Pete's Coffee, right? It's the equivalent, if you think about things we do digitally, think about doing these things in person. Uh, The equivalent of ghosting is like being near someone and shoving your fingers in your ears as they are trying to communicate with you. It's something like that. Uh, In the old days, uh, when you would try to call someone, um, you could call and then get a busy signal. Raise your hand if you know what busy signals are, okay? Raise your hand, keep it up if you know what call waiting is. Remember that? So call waiting was new technology that said, I'm on the phone with you, but hang on, I've got another call coming in. And it created some social awkwardness because it's like, sorry, I'm going to take this person over you. And so then you'd pause that person, go talk to this person, and all of that. Here's how it works in my house. If you live in my house as one of my children, then mom and dad pay for the cell phone, and the cell phone is really for us. So you better pick up. If mom and dad are trying to call you as one of my kids, you better pick up. That's the reason you have a cell phone. Of course, it's to slice watermelons and do whatever the games that you do and all that. But mainly, it's so that I can get in touch with you. It's kind of crazy how technology creates this immediacy. Um, if I can't get through to one of my kids, um, you know, it's, it's really challenging. In the old days, like if, if you didn't get, if your phone call wasn't picked up, if they didn't switch over to call waiting, your only other option was like carrier pigeon or something. I don't know. There was, there was no other option. You just waited until you could figure out kind of where they are and what you were doing. Now, God's parenting is way more gracious than my parenting. I realize that. Um, he's also far more mysterious as a father. What if when we got saved, we were handed a mobile phone by God? And that was just the way we communicated with God. And any time that God called, uh, we, would, we would have a direct line to, to the Lord. And, you know, you could be in a conversation and you look, you're like, oh, I need to take this. It's my dad. Right? And you're like, I'm always going to interrupt whatever I'm doing with you because my father is calling me. Uh, you know, God calls, we answer. We sing that line. We talk about that. We think about that. We also sing and talk about that we call to God and he answers. God calls to us, we call to God. This is how relationships work. But it begs the question, it's different to do this with Jonathan or a family member or a friend. How does this work within all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, immaterial being? What does it look like? What does it really mean that we call God and God calls us, and we have a relationship and we communicate. Just because something doesn't make sense 
to us doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't make sense. I love the passage that we just read and then sang. God's ways are higher than our ways. High as the heavens are above the earth. That's God's thought pattern over ours. You know that God asks us to call on him. And it's not just call on him once. It's to call and to keep calling. Let me just read through these verses. This is just a tiny sampling of verses. Psalm 141. Oh Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Psalm 145, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 20 says, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. And Jeremiah 33 says, call to me, God says, and I will answer and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament. He is the embodiment of God. He's completely God and completely human. And what does Jesus add to this discussion? He takes something that's very familiar to us, even if we live in the city and not in the country. He uses this metaphor of sheep and shepherd. He says the sheep follow because they know the shepherd's voice. How does a sheep get to know a shepherd's voice? We have two labs. Our labs know our voice. They were so excited when our kids got home from camp after being gone for a week. They were just extra excited because they heard some of their shepherds, labbards. I don't know how that word works, but uh, their owners and they knew their voice. Sheep know the shepherd's voice because they learn to trust and follow over time. It's a relationship. This is the picture that Jesus gives to us. So we are called to, go, to, to call on God, but God also calls on us. There's an interesting phrase. Let me teach you some Christianese if you didn't grow up in the church. There's a phrase people would use that I heard growing up, and it was this, the call of God. And I have call capitalized. The call of God. Sometimes you'd say the call of God to ministry. So pastors use this, and missionaries use this, and parachurch ministries use this. And here's how it's used. Are you called to ministry? When did you get your call to ministry? Uh, all these different ideas. Um, and and how, how did you get your call to ministry? And there was a certain pressure as a young pastor that someone would come and say, brother, how'd you get your call to ministry? And I'm like, you had to have an answer for that. You're like, and so the question is being asked is this, how did God lead you to become a pastor? What, what were the circumstances that God used in your life to lead you to plant a church? And so that's how the whole idea of the call to ministry um, is there. Now, here's a quick warning. Um, I would see this. I went to a very large church with a very massive college group, and then I became a youth pastor and college pastor. And here's what I watched. I watched people in our college group use the call of God in relationships, as in you're dating someone and say, well, God called me to marry you. And so the girl or guy might say, well, God hasn't talked to me yet. 
So slow your roll, buddy. Uh, and, and I would see this go on. Like people would, would take this thing and it's like, almost like once that's happened, I guess I have to marry the person. I'd say, whoa, time out. The call of God. So what if today, what if you resolved to never ghost God? So what if you committed today to say, I will never treat God as if he's not there? That's what ghosting is, right? If you made that decision today, I still think that the call of God would be missed because of all the other notifications and alerts and voices going on in our head. So even if we purpose to say, God, I'm going to always respond when you call, I think it's still possible to have those things clouded out because of all the other voices in our head. Have you guys noticed that notifications on all things digital are a little bit like weeds? You have to tend to your notifications. How many of you have had notifications show up that you never intentionally set and you find them notifying you of things, okay? Here's one recently. Ike's Sandwiches is texting me first thing in the morning. I'm trying to just read the Bible and pray. Ike's is telling me about some special going on, and now I'm thinking about sandwiches. And so I swipe it away and think in my mind, I really need to turn off that notification. I don't want Ike's interrupting my quiet time. So notifications, you have to to tend to them. Here's what's fascinating. After you unsubscribe, what's the first thing that happens? You get a text or an email from the thing you're unsubscribing to confirming your unsubscription. So again, think about digital things like it was you know, in, in person. Um, if I said to Carl, I said, Carl, um, can you stop bothering me? And Carl says, okay, yep, 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 uh, but just a moment of your time, Dave. What is it, Carl? I just want to confirm with you that I'm going to stop bothering you. Yes, Carl, that's what we're talking about. This is how notifications work. They are just... They are embedded in our life, and we have, to, we have to be diligent to sort of weed them out. So stop all the clutter so you can be certain to hear the most important thing. If you get nothing out of uh, Acts 16 this morning, here's the big idea, okay? I want you to write this down. This is the central truth of this morning, that God's call is not a one-time event, but it's an ongoing conversation. God's call is not a one-time event, but an ongoing conversation. So it removes some of the mystery of the call of God. God, God, God. And you're like, did I miss it? Was that God? Did I hear it? And then if it turns out different, it sends you into a tailspin. So the call of God is not a one-time event, but an ongoing conversation. I invited Becky to join life with me. And, uh, and, and walk forward into the sunset together. It's called a proposal. That's what I did when I proposed to her in marriage. And in a sense, you could say, I called on Becky. But the truth is, I call, text, and talk to Becky all day, every day. Why? Because I love her. Because she's my wife. We're in relationship. I didn't call Becky and then like, we're done. And she's like, what's the deal? Like, we talk all the time. So it is with God. God doesn't just call us and then he's off and we're supposed to just kind of trail along after him, hoping that we'll keep up with what he's doing. No, there's an ongoing conversation that's happening. I hope already this morning, this has happened for me, already this morning, I've been in conversation with the Lord. It's gone on in preparation for what's happening right now, for what I'm doing right this moment. It's already happened in song. 
It's just happened in an internal dialogue that's going on. So the call of God is not a one-time event, but an ongoing conversation. So the point is, answer every call, not just the call. Are there a couple of the calls in life? Yeah, there's a couple of big moment decisions where you sort of really seek after God and want to hear from him. But there's so many, many ones along the way. All right, so if you're taking notes, write these, these three things down. We're going to take them one at a time. The call of God, uh, number one, involves other people. Hear me really clearly. God made the mission that we are on as Christians so incredibly massive so that we would never, ever, ever forget we need teammates. The things God calls us to must include other people. The Apostle Paul is on a mission from God. He is called to go on a second missionary journey. He had an incredible first missionary journey. All kinds of amazing things have gone on. He's come back, he's reported. Jerusalem council happened in Acts 15, where they sort of clarified, okay, Gentiles are coming. What needs to happen? Okay, we're going to do that. Now he's called to a second missionary journey. He splits up with his former teammate Barnabas, and he wants help. So Acts 16, verse 1, follow along with me. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, so here's the scene. The apostle Paul, who's whose fame has already like just gone before him. God's using him in incredible ways. Comes back. He's doing a second missions trip. He comes to young Timothy. Says, Timothy, I want you on the team. Yippee! Timothy's excited. He's got to be. And then Paul says, but first, before you pack, let's get you circumcised. And he's all, what? Wait, what was that? Hold the phone. <laughs> I'm glad I'm on the team. That second part sounds a little scary. What's happening here? God uses us in teams. No free solo, no lone rangers. No one has all the gifts. Remember our theme of this whole series is Church Activate. That was inspired by the Wonder Twins. Who knows the Wonder Twins? Raise your hand. Come on. Wonder Twin powers activate, right? Form of an eagle, sister. Form of an ice unicycle, right? And they would go fight crime and do these weird things. They needed each other. An ice ice unicycle by itself does no good, ever, right? An eagle, you could claw someone, I don't know. But together, they would be paired together to do supernatural things vanquishing evil. What a picture of the church. What a picture of God. Your gift by itself doesn't make nearly as much sense as when you come around the other gifts. It comes alive and comes to fruition. That's exactly what's going on here. Timothy is gonna become Paul's protege, best friend, and most effective, fruitful teammate. But right now, today, he's brand new, he's young, he's inexperienced, but he's available. And and Paul sees that, and so he goes with him. Why circumcision? Circumcision was strategic. Next Sunday, I will wear a full suit when I preach. Do you know why? I'm going to go preach at a church in Alameda uh, for a Foster the City teammate. She asked me about a year and a half ago, can you come preach at my church someday on foster stuff? I said, absolutely. So we're finally lining that up. I went on her website. 
All their pastors wear full-blown suits. I asked her, I always ask this, what's the dress code at your church? What should I wear? And she was sort of like almost apologetic. And I said, should I wear a suit? She goes, yeah, probably. (laughs) She knows I'm more laid back and and not suit-wearing by nature. You know why I'm wearing a suit? Because I want them to hear the message. If my clothing somehow is like shouting at them while I'm trying to talk, I'll wear a suit, of course. It's a picture in Christian liberty. You take, you take what you can do, what you have the right to do, and you lay it down in love for others to serve other people. Now, the cost of me wearing a suit is far less than Timothy getting circumcised. Amen? I mean, that's a really costly thing. But guess what? The call of God is costly. I love this. This is an amazing picture of Timothy just laying down his right and saying, if this is going to help get the message out, I'll get circumcised. Let's do this thing. So he does. Here's a fun little thing. Now, I don't want you to try and read this, but here's a screenshot of the Bible text that we're in right now. Watch what happens partway into the story. It's a little hard to see uh, this morning, but you see all the highlighted yellows? Maybe you can't. It switches right at verse 10 to we. He's saying they went there, they went there, they did this, and then we, 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 we. You know who joins the team? Luke, the author of Acts. Sort of like slipped into this is another teammate who's on this. Luke now is with them. And so Luke's part of this team. The call of God always involves teammates. Here's number two. The call of God requires ongoing listening and testing. I want to camp out here for a long time because this is a a really key part of this morning's text. Have you ever been certain God was calling you to something only to have the door shut in your face? I mean, you were utterly convinced. Things were lining up that were not from you. God just was steering you, funneling you to this. And you're like, I'm certain of this. And you start to walk forward, and then things close in your face. Here's part two of the question. This is one of your community questions this week. How has God steered you with closed or locked doors? This takes reflection, doesn't it? It takes reflection to stop and go, God, what were you doing? What, what were you doing in this season? It felt like such a closed door. It felt so opposite of what I thought you were going to do. So looking back and be able to see how has God steered you with closed or locked doors? Some of you know part of this story, but Becky and I felt utterly convinced we were called to adopt internationally. And after we had Two boys and a girl. We were hoping for one of each gender. After our third child was born, it was a girl, we began to pursue adoption. And we pursued adoption in the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia. There's probably need there, but the country of Georgia, former Russian state, had the largest, most urgent, desperate need on the planet of all the countries in the world that were open to international adoption. Georgia, far and away, had the greatest need. We felt utterly certain God was calling us to adopt from Georgia. So we began to pray about this. We, we went to um, some Georgian events. Uh, we talked to other people who had adopted from Georgia. We saved and we planned and we prayed. We even had this little Georgian flag And that little Georgian flag was to just remind us to be in prayer and go, wow, this is a whole new culture and country that's going to be a part of our life. And then what happened along the way 
is that we got word partway into the process. We're already deeply invested financially, emotionally, and with our time. And partway into the process, the Georgian government decided, you know what, no more international adoptions. We're going to put a pause on that. And probably about 10 times out of 10, that doesn't have the kids' best interests in mind. It's political. There's something going on politically. And so they just said, no, we're stopping the process. Now, we were warned at the beginning, you are dealing with a sovereign government who can change the rules at any time, and they do, and they did. So we're pretty crushed. We're disappointed. We're confused. We're heartbroken over this whole thing. And so we began to pray and process God, wasn't it you that stirred this up in us? Aren't you the one that that just kept confirming point after point that this was not only what we're supposed to do, but where we were supposed to do it and when we were supposed to do it? So we just began to pray and just kept seeking. And the answer came just a few weeks later for us. We had a surprise fourth pregnancy. So instead of getting a little Georgian, we got a little Tegan. And, uh, And so all of a sudden... Uh, certain things began to clear up for us. And so the, the, we, we realized that, that the call to adopt wasn't done. It was just different. God was hitting pause on it. He hadn't removed the burden to adopt. He had just said, just, just pause on that for a second. So God called us to keep on praying and to keep on trusting and to keep on pursuing. God called us to trust in the fog. God called us really clearly to start raising a little Tegan. God called us to pick up adoption again. You see, here's the point. The call of God requires ongoing listening and testing. God, we thought we had heard you here. It seems that there's a closed door. Now what? Is this really from you? What are we supposed to do? Look at verse 6. A few sentences show God doing the exact same thing to team Paul. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. You know what this missions trip was all about? Speaking the word in Asia. Hey, second missions trip. We're going to go preach the gospel to Asia. The Holy Spirit's forbidding it. Verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. All that to say, Paul was called to preach to Asia, so Paul went. He went with what he knew. And then like every missions trip that has ever happened since, things didn't go exactly according to plan. I love that we have Jonathan Hurley sitting in the front here. Jonathan, for years, headed up our Mexico missions trip. One of our very first meetings we would always do with Mexico missions trip is say this. We would teach them the phrase flexico. Flexico meant when you're in Mexico, you better come with a massive flexibility attitude. If you bring your Silicon Valley, like, you know, we're going to plan this all out to a T. It's all going to go just according to plan. It's going to be hard on the trip. Look at this picture for a second. This is not how Paul drew up the trip. I'm sure they had planning meetings and sessions and thought, here's what we'll do. We'll go here, here, here. It didn't look like this. I wonder if you life mapped yourself sometime and just thought, where were the, where were the turning points that, that the Holy Spirit prevented this? I thought for sure God was calling us here. So we went, that got us moving, but God then steered us over here. On the way, God shuts the door on them multiple times. It says, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit 
to speak the word in Asia. It's interesting, we don't know the details of that. Sometimes God forbids things in all kinds of a variety of ways. Sometimes he uses very normal, simple circumstances that when you look back on it, you go, huh, that was God stopping me from doing that. At the time, I thought it was just a health thing. At the time, I just thought it was a circumstance thing or a financial thing. Sometimes God closes the door because you don't get the job. You don't get accepted into the school. The girl says no to your proposal. Okay, we're going in a different direction. The call of God requires ongoing listening and testing. So here's what they do. They pivot. Once the Holy Spirit stops them, they pivot and they think, okay, we're going to go north and then east instead. Verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow that. Well, now what? Well, the call of God requires ongoing listening and testing. So they end up in Troas. Let me show you where Troas really quick. I get to use my pointer. You can't even see the pointer. I'll show you. Here's Troas right here, up here. You see it? Right there. It's a beach town. Now, what would you do if Team Paul is trying to go on their missions trip to Asia for Pete's sake? What would you do if you end up in Troas, a beach town? What are you thinking if you're Paul? What are you thinking if you're the team? I mean, there's plenty of people that have been in need of the places you've been trying to go. But God said no. You had a plan. It made sense to you. It's perfect. There's, there's, there's loads of open doors in Asia. But God said no. Instead of giving up, instead of sulking, instead of just like setting up a surf rental shop and going, wow, we're at the beach. I mean, it's kind of a cool place. What do they do? The call of God is not an event. It's an ongoing conversation. When you get to these places, and many of you, I know some of your stories, you get to these places, you've never prayed more desperately. God, where are you? Did I mishear you? You lean in. All other things, all of the notifications, voices, alerts, you're like, I stop all of the noise. Shh. Gotta hear from God. God, help us. We're here at the beach. What do you want us to do? It's in that moment that Paul does what he does probably most every day, a very normal thing. He goes to sleep, and he has a dream. Look at verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. The trip wasn't done. It was just different. This is the call of God. He doesn't show us everything up front. Getting redirected didn't derail Paul and his team. They head at once to what is now modern-day Greece. You see them shooting right across the ocean. They head at once there. Like Team Paul, God's call is often confusing. So let me, let me give you two practices. How, how do we get in on this? How are we supposed to do this? My old pastor at Venture Christian, Daniel Henderson, said this, Be earnest to experience the teachings of Acts, but be cautious to teach the experience of Acts. Here's what he means by that. 
The book of Acts is historical narrative. It is describing what happened. If you take a descriptive passage and you make it prescriptive, meaning this is the way God worked with Paul, that means we should all expect that's how God will work for us. You will end up idolizing the wrong thing. You will end up disappointed. You will end up experiencing saying, I've got to get my dream. So I guess my action item is I should sleep like 22 hours a day so I could dream what God has for me. It leads to some crazy things. Does God speak in visions and dreams? Yes. Is that prescriptive? Is that how you get the call of God, God, God? No. That's how he can work. So here's, if you sort of like unpack his thing, think about it. He is on a mission to preach the gospel to the whole world. He knows this is an accurate thing. He knows that's from God. He's been trying to do that in Asia. They've had multiple closed door going in other directions. And now he gets a dream from someone asking for help, learning about God over here. He says, let's go. There's no need to plan or pray or wonder or wait. This is it. God steers him because he's already moving. Here's two things you can do to keep hearing and responding to God's call. Here's practice number one. Go where people are seeking, celebrating, and obeying God. In verse 13 and 16, we see two different times where Paul says they go to where they suppose a prayer meeting is happening. When they enter into a place, there's not many God worshipers there. That's because the gospel hasn't gotten there yet. But they go to where people are seeking God. You know what that is for us? It's right here at church. It's your community group. It's a prayer meeting. It's a Bible study that you join. Make a practice of going where people are seeking, celebrating, and obeying God. Anyone who's ever ghosted God, it almost always begins with church attendance trailing off. With saying, well, this season for a community group, I'm just kind of too busy. It's not working for me. With all of a sudden not, not being present at the family functions as a church. That's a pattern. That's why we're not to give up meeting with people. We've got some Hume people here in the room. One that just slipped out, but um, they're wearing their shirts today. Awesome to have you guys here. Hopefully more coming next week. You guys are the early risers. I like that. At Hume Lake... A part of why uh, it's easy to hear from God, Hume has been a powerful, powerful part of my life. A part of why it's so powerful is two times a day you are gathering to sing and set your attention on God. And you're doing it with hundreds of other people all doing the same thing. Is everyone at camp there hungry for God? Of course not. They're hungry for food. They're hungry for adventure. They're hungry for a new relationship. but, But they're not hungry for God. But is Hume Lake a place where... All through an entire week, you're gathering with people who are singing and celebrating and seeking and obeying God, you bet. That's why Hume is such a powerful place to come and gather. But as Lucas already mentioned, uh, God doesn't just speak at Hume Lake. It's not a one-time event. You don't just save up your conversation to hear from God next year at camp. Wouldn't that be a downer? I guess I heard all I get to hear this year. Can't wait for next year. Some people live their life that way, right? Like just sort of waiting for for these, you know, one-time-a-year highs. So here's the second thing. The second thing is to develop a posture and practice of quieting down to listen. 
may be hard for you to believe, but sitting still, quieting down, listening up, these aren't skills that came easy to me. I was not good at getting those lessons. Sit still and be quiet. Are we done? No, it's been three seconds. It was really hard for me to sit still and to be quiet and to listen up. But guess what? This is a learned skill. God is so clearly heard at Hume, in part because you're with other people. But a whole second half is that distractions are removed. Josh, isn't it true as a counselor, distractions being removed play a giant part in you just getting to receive and be with God? I mean, it's just, and that's available to us right now, isn't it? We don't have to go away to Hume. We don't have to get out of cell phone range signal. There's a thing on my iPhone I can swipe, and I can go to airplane mode. Remember that one? Go to airplane mode. Go put it in a drawer if it tempts you. Remove the distraction. God speaks in quiet moments of undistracted reflection. God speaks in moments of quiet, undistracted reflection. Here's the question. Do you have any of those times set up this next week? If you don't intentionally take time for quiet, undistracted reflection, it will not show up. Those moments don't just show up. You have to schedule it out. I don't know about you, but sometimes the whole first part of prayer and Bible reading is me just slowing down and getting my heart, mind, soul in tune with the timing and kingdom and practices of Jesus. When I'm sitting down and I have devoted quiet time, I'm undistracted, I'm undisturbed, my mind is still working on the to-do list. My mind might still be thinking about the meeting that's coming up that has me stressed. My mind might be on the previous conversation I just came from. In those moments, God, I'm here for you. Help me, help me just to be present right here in this moment. You can't rush this. You rush in this and you'll miss this. Let me highlight the dad's coupon book. If you have no idea what the dad's coupon book was, it means you missed, was it two weeks ago, Father's Day? When was that? Two weeks ago. Means you missed Father's Day. I have one of these for you, dads, and so come find me afterwards and I will get it for you. The June coupon was coffee with an elder. There's no expiration date on this except for next year. So within the next year, go grab coffee with one of the elders of the church. You know what you're doing? You're inviting insight. You're recognizing you're part of a team. You're saying, hey, can we just, can we just get coffee together and, and be together? Here is this month's, and I'm so excited about it. It's the wilderness getaway. This coupon is good for a wilderness getaway. Do you know that Jesus carved out time to go away to the wilderness for the purpose of prayer? If he goes and does that, we as his followers follow his lead. Families, gift your dad. Spouses, gift your husband, saying this time away is important. I've got the chores. I've got the household. Get away to the wilderness. Make time to develop and continue the practice of getting away for the purpose of hearing from God. All right, so the call of God involves others. It needs ongoing listening. Here's the third and final thing. The call of God is opposed. This just bears repeating. You can't help but read the Gospels and the book of Acts and just see opposition, 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 opposition. 
If you came to Christ hoping for a comfortable, easy life, I'm sorry to burst the bubble. That's not the call of Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. All who desire to live godly in this life will be persecuted. The call of God is opposed, often fiercely and violently. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's wrong. I'll tell you one of the most surefire ways for me as a, as a preacher to get on the wrong side with God. Always look for what's easy and popular to preach about. If I seek after the crowd's approval, I will most certainly get on the wrong side of God. I will find myself being a false prophet who is working against God. This just makes sense. C.S. Lewis said this, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. What a great picture. The whole world's running towards a cliff. What are you doing running this way? What's the call of Jesus? The call of Jesus is opposed to all the things that called you before. The flesh calls you towards a cliff. Your own insight and flawed human reason calls you to a cliff. The world celebrates and calls you to a cliff. If you are following the world's calling, you know what you get? You get hearts and likes. You get celebrated. You know what the word repent means? It means to turn around. No longer going towards a cliff. You're going the other way. When you are walking in the opposite way of the world, you begin to bump into people who are going the other way. At first, you just annoy them. But as you follow the command of Jesus to call people away from death into life, you begin to anger the people around you. It can't help but be opposed. Hear me really clearly. If you haven't been opposed in the last month, week, could it be that you're just singing and celebrating and going along with the crowd? If you are simply walking in the other way, you will get people going, what are you doing? You're in my way. You're bothering me. You're annoying. And if you call people to say, I want to say this in love, but it's so urgent. You're going in the wrong direction. You're running off a cliff. Come with me to the light. You will anger people regularly. The call of God is opposed. Look at verse 19. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Verse 20. These men are disturbing our city. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. The call of God is against what this world is for. By the way, if you want to see the real motive, and this is true in this story, follow the money. Who's the one that stirred all this up for Paul and Silas? Owners of a slave girl who could be like a fortune teller. And once Paul and Silas cast that demon out of that girl, their prospect for riches went away with it. You track back the false gods of pleasure and money and power. You follow those false gods are the root of so much opposition to the will of God. 
So what is meant by seek first the kingdom of God? Here it is. You ask, how can I seek first the kingdom of God when I'm put in jail, beaten unjustly? How do you seek first the kingdom of God when you're there? You know what you can do when you're locked up in jail? Turns out you can sing. So that's what they did. This is one of the coolest worship services ever. They're locked up there in prison, and they're belting out praise songs to God. Singing for joy. Do you want to know what's always God's will? You say, what's the call of God in my life? I know it. I know part of it. Rejoice always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's the will of God for your life. You can rejoice in every circumstance. So that's what they were doing. By the way, say the words rejoice always with me right now. Rejoice always. Do it again. Rejoice always. You just memorized 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Congratulations. Memorizing scripture is pretty easy, right? Rejoice always. That goes with us. We can take that into every circumstance that we go into this week. Here's the reality. Whether we like it or not, the good news that we preach is either confirmed or denied by the good or bad life we, we live. In this situation, we see Paul and the good life that he and Silas were preaching were backed up by the good life that they lived. Paul had rights. He could have easily flexed his rights to make himself more comfy, to make his life better, and frankly, to get payback to his abusers. But what does he do? He willingly lays down his rights. Why does he do that? He does that because he's following King Jesus. And that's exactly what King Jesus does. He willingly lays down his rights. At the end of this chapter, he's going to say, hey, wait a minute, don't try to just dismiss me from your prison. I'm a Roman citizen. And that got everyone freaked out because they did things way out of order. Paul lays down his rights in love for undeserving people. Sound familiar? King Jesus. That's what his followers do. His message is confirmed by the life that he lived. I want to just close by reading verse 25 following and look at the result of what happens when in the middle of opposition, we follow Jesus' example and back up our good message with our good life. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for, his li- for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. If you're a Christian here this morning, the message of our songs and our sermons are confirmed when we live what we talk about, when we live what we sing about. 
how on earth did Paul and Silas know to stay put? Remember just a few chapters earlier, there was a miraculous prison break, and, and, a, and an angel leads Peter out. Now there's a miraculous prison break. Sweet, I've already heard about that one. God must be doing the same thing. But he stays. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. How does he know? It wasn't in the initial call. The ongoing conversation, two-way conversation with God. That's the only way. When you read Acts 16, just map when they stay and when they go. How long they stay. How do they know all those things? Because of an ongoing conversation and willingness to obey what God is saying. Let me have the band come on up. And let me just leave you with this idea of Church Activate. This is our series title. And when I think about answering the call, you know, the most important call of God is to say yes to salvation. In this chapter, here's what's beautiful. We're about to move into a baptism. In this chapter, Lydia and her household are saved and are baptized. The jailer and his household believe and are baptized. You know how long ago I lined up this Sunday to be uh, going on with this chapter? A while ago. And we have a baptism lined up. Let me say really quick a word about who's baptizing. Jonathan is going to get to baptize Dean. Dean's been a part of our fellowship here for a while. What's really beautiful is Jonathan is, has been a spiritual mentor um, to Dean. And Jonathan, who actually lives in Texas, is ministering because the Spirit of God knows no state bounds, doesn't know time bounds. And he's here working in the midst of that. In thinking about teammates, what teammates do you have? Are you committed to community? Whose team are you supposed to join in this season? What is it maybe you've been trying to do alone and God's saying, stop doing it alone. You need a team around you. Invite other people. Pray for people. Timothy was already serving faithful, uh, faithfully. He was already well-spoken of. He was already doing what God had called him to. And God had something way bigger and more for him. How about the idea of actively listening to God? I think when I ask people, are you listening to God, they'll immediately mention things like church and prayer and Bible study and journaling and those kinds of things. And those are great. Those are certainly intended to have you listening to God. But it's also possible to read, to pray, to do spiritual disciplines, and you're not really hearing from God. You're not listening. There are seasons of time where what has worked in one season, I've had to just sit down and say, I'm just, I'm just gathering more and more and more. I just need to go take a walk. I need to go serve in anonymity. God, would you please help me to hear what you're saying in this season? Far more important than your opinion about the need to listen to God are your actions. What are the practices, the rhythms in your life that are saying, this is my way of ongoing listening and checking in with God? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your call on our life. Everyone who has ever said yes to you said yes because you initiated a conversation with us. God, you've done it all. We see this with Lydia and the jailer. The the thing left for us to do is to believe and receive. That's it. 
And God, that never goes away. I pray that afresh today we would believe and receive what you have for us. Help us not to sit around or sulk or go home when the call doesn't go the way we thought it was. God, I pray those would be moments actually that we lean in and listen to even more, that we we clear out even more of the clutter. We say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'll do whatever you want. God, if there's sin in our life, you won't speak to us. If we have a preset idea that only the things we'll obey, you won't won't reveal those things. So God, we repent of that. We want to be open-hearted, open books to you to say, God, wherever you go, I'll go. Whomever you call me to love, I'm your guy, I'm your gal.